Welcome to the Vanguard Trilex Podcast, where our goal is to help you to walk in a real relationship with Jesus Christ. You're about to hear a sermon from one of our weekend services in Monument, Colorado. We pray that your faith is provoked, your mind is renewed, and your heart is awakened as you engage the Word of God. Stay tuned after the sermon for ways you can stay connected with us. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. All right, all right. Good morning, Vanguard Tri-Lakes. It's good to see you all today. Hey, welcome. Uh, if you're uh, new to Vanguard Tri-Lakes, I'm Richie Fike. I'm the pastor here. Uh, very excited to have you with, with us today. We're in a series called You Asked For It, uh, which is where uh, at Easter we gave you surveys and we asked you to, ask, to answer the question, what is something that you would want to hear a sermon about? And for the past two or three weeks, as I've prepared for this Sunday, I've thought about changing the title of this series to I Asked For It, uh, because this is a heavy, heavy topic that we're going to cover today, the, the, the topic of sexuality. Uh, and so... Um, you know, I predicted this whenever we said we wanted to do this series where we asked people to tell us what are the things that they want to hear about. Uh, this issue, specifically of homosexuality and, and gender and the, the issues that we're, that we're kind of wrestling with as a culture these days, these are front of mind, especially for parents with teenagers, with young people. Um, this world is for sure pushing uh, the agenda, pushing the, the concept of of you know, free love and, and homosexuality being perfectly acceptable. Uh, and so, you know, we as Christians, as Christ followers, are wrestling with our position and how we communicate uh, about this issue with the world. And so I sort of predicted, I knew that this was going to be one of the top four. And so here we are. And I actually am um, sort of, I have like a, a pensive spirit about this subject because we're talking about people. This isn't just a subject about an issue. This isn't, uh, you know, this sort of abstract thing. It's about people. And so it's, it's been very, very heavy on my heart. It's, it's very important to me that I communicate this very clearly today in a way that represents the Lord, uh, the Bible, and his people. And so today we're going to talk about this issue. Here were some of the ways that you guys posed the question as you sent them in. You said, uh, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? I love this question. Uh, you said, why is homosexuality a sin? Great question. You said, how are Christians supposed to interact with homosexuals? And you also said, why do gay people think that God hates them? These are heavy questions in a culture and a time that we live in today. And I just want to say uh, that if there's anyone here today uh, in this room or listening to the podcast weeks and months later, uh, that identifies as LGBTQ+, I want to say from the onset, before I say anything else, we love you. We here at Vanguard Tri-Lakes, we love you. God loves you. He loves you 100%. There is nothing about you that the Lord says, no, I don't love that. He loves you, okay? Um, and I think that it's important that we, think, uh, that we think through this issue through the lens of people. Um, someone asked me this question, uh, as I was preparing, they asked this question. Is the church a place for LGBTQ plus people? Is the church a place for people that identify this way? And to me, that's like asking the question, is the church a place for people? Um, and of course, the answer is yes. 
The idea of church is not that all of you guys get everything figured out and that you are living perfectly righteous and now you can come to church. That is not the idea of church. The idea of church is that people who desperately need God come to a place where they say, okay, the world is not providing for me all the answers that I want. I want something more. And if that's you today and you're here in this place and you're saying, look, I identify as LGBTQ, uh, but I'm interested in who, who this God is, this God of the Bible. You came to the right place. You are welcome here. You are loved here, okay? So, but the issue that we're facing is the, this word that I keep, I've kept thinking about this word this entire last three or four weeks. The word is nuance. Because what I'm gonna talk about today is culturally and societally nuanced. But we, as Christ followers, we cannot allow cultural nuance to influence scriptural truth. We have to come at this topic if we decide that we want to follow Christ. We have to come at this topic through the authority of scripture. I heard someone say, you won't understand the Bible until you stand under the Bible which is to say that the Bible would have your, the authority in your life. So here are the four questions I'm going to cover today. Um, I'm going to do my best with these questions. The first one is, what does the Bible communicate about this issue? And honestly, guys, I really would rather we pose it through the lens of sexuality as opposed to just highlighting and identifying homosexuality, okay? But what does the Bible communicate about this issue? Number two, what does the Bible communicate about your issue? We're going to get into your business today, too. Um, number three, what is the difference between occasional and lifestyle sin? And number four, what is the Christ follower's proper relationship with the LGBTQ plus community? You got your seatbelts on? Everybody good? You ready? Okay, good. So let's talk about the first one. What does the Bible communicate about this issue of sexuality? Uh, if you've heard me preach for, you know, just a short amount of time, you know that my attitude about scripture, my attitude about the Bible, my attitude about God, my attitude about me, is that I would much prefer to focus on the things that God is for than to focus on the things that he's against. But this struggle for and against is all throughout our Bible. Um, in fact, you can't be for something unless you're against something. That's kind of how it works, right? And so, you know, I love to think through the lens. When I read the Bible, I read it as a loving father prescribing a lifestyle that he decides because he has the best perspective. He decides this is what's best for you. Now, is God against everything else? Yeah, he is. God is for everything that's good for you, and he is against everything that's bad for you. That's the way it works. So when we talk about sexuality, when we talk about what God is for uh, in, in the terms of sexuality, everything else outside of what he's for, he's against. You with me? Does that make sense? Um, you know, we have all these lists, you, know, you call them guidelines or ditches or boundaries or limitations or rules or ordinances or harmful opportunities, however you want to think about it. Everything outside of what God is for He's against, and, and it's all called the same thing. It's called sin. Everything outside of what God is for is called sin. And God is not nuanced about sin. He's not like, well, certain sin is okay certain times under certain occasions. Certain sin is okay if you do these four things in this proper order. It's not how it works. There's no cheat codes. 
God is not nuanced. Certain behaviors and values are simply not a part of the life that God wants for you. Anything and everything on the list, on the no-no list, whatever you want to call it, serves the same purpose, separation. That's what sin does. If you can imagine a Grand Canyon and you can imagine the distance between one side and the other, sin simply severs the connection between a human heart and a holy God. And this really matters to God. It really matters that we understand what holiness is and what sin is. Uh, I have a, a kind of a songwriter a friend that I've admired for a long time. Um, his name is Derek Webb. He used to be in a band called Caveman's Call. Uh, he was one of probably the loudest voices in Christian contemporary music. Uh, and Derek has gone through an incredible deconstruction of his faith, mostly because he has gotten to know some people that identify as LGBTQ, and he can't make sense of what the Bible has to say about them. Derek said this. He said, every Christian should reserve their opinion about homosexuality until they personally know someone that they love who identifies as LGBTQ+. Until it's personal, your opinion is immaterial. And here's what I would say to my friend Derek. I would say, I know some people that identify as LGBTQ+, people that are dear to me, people that matter to me. Their, their stories matter to me. Their lives matter to me. Their hearts matter to me. And guess what? My opinion is still immaterial. It does not matter what I think about this subject. It does not matter what you think about this subject. You know what matters? What matters is what God thinks about this subject. And that's why the first question, what does the Bible communicate about this issue of sexuality is so important because you do not have to represent yourself in the world and say, well, I think this. That's not how it works. Your responsibility as a Christ follower is to love people. And when they ask you what you think, I would just, I dare you to say to them, it really doesn't matter what I think because we gotta reach for a higher ground because the next question is, well, then what does God think? Now we're on to something. Does that make sense? So uh, in the beginning, God made Adam and Eve, right? Uh, they were a perfect creation. God had made the heavens and the earth. He had made uh, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field, the fish of the sea, the plants, the aardvarks. He made all of it, right? Uh, and he said, it's good. Everything's good. And now I'm going to do something that I hadn't done yet. I'm going to make a creature. I, the creator, am going to create a creature in my own image. None of the other creatures on the planet were created in God's own image. Only man and woman, male and female, Adam and Eve. And he gave them four big jobs. Number one, tend to the planet, take good care of it. Number two, eat of the fruit and the vegetables and the animals. He actually asked Adam to name all the animals. That's why we got, you know, aardvarks and zebras. He did it all. Um, and so then he says, be fruitful, which, by the way, is another way of saying have sex. Okay? Any husbands and wives in the room, you can feel free to say amen at any point. Okay? Uh, be fruitful, have sex, uh, and multiply. God created sex. He created it for male and female, for man and for woman. He created it for them. Um, part of God's plan has always been human flourishing. Sex was a master stroke of a creative genius, okay? Any husbands and wives, you can feel free to say amen at any point in this sermon, okay? Um, but, but this is what I'm saying. What God is for, here's what he's for. He's for one man, 
and one woman with one covenant for one lifetime. Sex is a gift that's reserved for that level of commitment. That's what it's about. Now, think about the world we live in. Think about uh, the way that sex is treated in our culture, how it's cheap and how it's meaningless, seemingly, and how sex is treated almost as a commodity. It's treated uh, as transactional. Everything outside of this, this little definition, one man, one woman, one covenant, one lifetime, everything outside of this is sin. It's what God is against. He is super for this and super against everything else. This is what our Bibles communicate. Um, I like to think of the Bible as the owner's manual. Uh, if you ever, you know, if you ever get a vehicle, you buy a vehicle that comes with that thick little owner's manual in the glove compartment. Um, the person who created your car created that owner's manual for you. The God that created you created an owner's manual for you. And it's to tell you this is what works best in your car, in your system. What would happen if you would put diesel fuel in a gasoline engine? Anybody ever have that problem? Anybody ever do that, <laughs> right? What would happen if you put gasoline in a diesel engine? The owner's manual will tell you that you can get a few miles down the road before you explode and are going to spend thousands of dollars repairing or replacing that engine, right? That is the way it works. God's intent for human sexuality is one man with one woman in a covenantal marriage for one lifetime. Anything outside of that is contrary to the owner's manual. You with me? Amen? Um, and I'll give you some, uh, some scriptural evidence just so you can see that I'm not making this up. Leviticus says you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It says it's an abomination. First Corinthians, Paul says this, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. He goes on, Paul, later to say in a letter to Timothy, uh, who was leading a church in Ephesus, he says this, we know that the law is good, If one uses it properly, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those who practice homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary, contrary to the sound doctrine that the gospel uh, that, the, that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. So you get a little bit of Old Testament, a little bit of New Testament. You say, well, Fike, what about Jesus? What did Jesus have to say about this specific issue of homosexuality? Does anybody know? Anybody know what Jesus had to say about homosexuality? He doesn't say anything. There's nothing in any of our gospels where Jesus clearly condemns homosexuality. Oh, so that must mean, Fike, if Jesus didn't say it, then it must be okay. That's called the argument from silence. Uh, it's used uh, in, in multiple occasions to try to communicate uh, the affirmation of Jesus because he was silent about it. Here's the problem. Jesus also didn't talk about home invasion or alcoholism or drug abuse or rape or child sacrifices or human trafficking. He didn't talk about these things and he didn't talk about homosexuality for the same reason because it was already known. It was already condemned. No one was disagreeing. There were little pockets of people that were practicing these things, 
But everyone in the culture, by and large, knew that this was condemned. So Jesus didn't speak about it because he didn't feel the need to. But he did speak about one man, one woman, one covenant, one lifetime. They were asking him about divorce. And he answered their question. They were trying to trap him. He answered it. He said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, the one who made them, the creator, the one who created the owner's manual, he made them male and female. And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So Jesus certainly affirmed one man, one woman, one covenant for one lifetime. Listen, I think that if... We were to give out a thousand Bibles to a thousand people who knew nothing about uh, the religion of Christianity. And we said to them, here's what I want you to do. Would you just go read this? Would you read this Bible? Just take a year. I'll come back to you. I've got two big questions for you at the end of your year. Would you just read this Bible and come back? I can't imagine that if they came back a year later and we said to them, all right, you've read the Bible, right? You'd never heard it before. You'd never knew anything about it before. Here's my question. Um, what is God's opinion, God's perspective, God's prescription for sexuality? I can't imagine that a single one of the people who would read the Bible from top to bottom would say, oh, God's totally cool with like multiple sexual experiences. He's totally cool with homosexuality. He's totally cool with any kind of sexual exploration. Of course not. If you read your Bible from the top to the bottom, what you're going to find is that God prescribes for us a way that he thinks sex works best. The best thing possible for you and for me is one man with one woman in one covenant for one lifetime. Amen? That's what the Bible says. And I believe that if God were to write the Bible today in 2023 language, um, I believe that we would see the same values, precepts, characteristics, and standards. None of it would change just because we have. You know what's changed about sexuality? Us. That's what's changed. God's, God's opinion, God's prescription has not changed. We've changed. He says in Malachi, I am the Lord and I do not change. And listen, that's a very good thing. You don't want to serve a wishy-washy God. You don't want to serve a God who says one thing one day and another thing the next. You want to serve a God who's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow because you can trust in that. Amen? You with me? So the point I'm making is that the Bible communicates sex is a gift reserved for one woman, one woman who've committed to one lifetime together. Did I say one woman twice? (laughs) Sorry about that. We'll edit that out of the podcast. (laughs) Sex is a gift reserved. Let me say it again. Sex is a gift reserved for one man and one woman who've committed to one lifetime. This isn't funny together. (laughs) Okay. That's what the Bible has to say about this issue. Can we talk about what what the Bible has to say about your issue? Can we do that just for a moment? Can I go from preaching to meddling just for a second? Is that all right? Um, 1 Corinthians 6, we just read it. We read 1 Corinthians 6 as a proof text for why homosexuality is to be uh, condemned, is to be thought of as wrong. Well, let's talk about you. Do you not know that wrongdoers, let's just stop right there. How many in the room, no show of hands, would say, I'm a wrongdoer? Anybody, you don't have to say it, but everybody in this room, if you're not willing to say that you're a wrongdoer, we're not lightning proof in this building. I can't, you know, make sure that it won't happen, uh, but you are a wrongdoer. It's all of us. Uh, do, not, do not be deceived, either the sexually immoral, 
the idolaters, the adulterers, homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Anybody who would say that this is who I am, this sin defines my personality, this sin defines who I am, that sin is going to keep you out of the kingdom. And I love it. He says, and such were some of you, uh, but this is such good news, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. That same guy, Paul, that wrote this, I know that he gets vilified in the gay community um, as this person who had something against homosexuals. Jesus didn't say anything. Paul sure has a lot to say. That same guy, Paul, said this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all. And so listen to me, if you identify, if you are here today or if you're listening to the podcast, you identify as LGBTQ+, I want you to hear me. Your sin is no different than mine. Your sin is no greater or worse than mine. I am a sinner saved by grace. I'm forgiven for my sin and I still wrestle with sin. That's part of the human existence. You are no different than me. I am no different than you. And by the way, Paul said this about himself He said, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul says, you want to see a sinner? Listen, don't look at yourself. Come look at me. I am the foremost of all sinners. This is the guy that might be known as the greatest Christian of all time. He wrote most of the New Testament. This is a guy whose voice has echoed throughout generations. And he says, I want to make sure of all the stuff you hear me say, make sure you hear this. I am the worst of all the sinners. That's powerful. Man, Christians, Christ followers, if you could have that kind of attitude when you interact with people, that you would say of yourself, look, I'm neither high nor mighty. I have not figured anything out. I am a broken sinner in need of grace, trusting in Jesus every day of my life. Amen? If we could have that attitude, what a difference it might make. Because any and all sin serves to sever the connection between a human heart and a holy God. Any and all sin, your little white lies, your gossip, your greed, your selfishness, your pride, all of it serves to separate you from a holy God. So this conversation, listen to me, Vanguard Tri-Lakes, this conversation about homosexuality must never be about us versus them. We're all in this together. It cannot be about this tribal, you know, war that we're in culturally. We have to make sure that as Christ followers that we represent Jesus in a way that people know. And those people, you can say what you want about uh, this church and that church, but I tell you what, those people at Vanguard Trilakes, they love me. Like, they love me. That's what it's about. And the good news is that we don't have to stay separated. I don't know if you caught it, it's so beautiful. Such were some of you. But you were washed. Thank you, Jesus. You were sanctified. That's a process that we're in right now. You were justified, not because of anything you did, but because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in your life. So we've talked about this issue. We've talked about your issue. And now I want to cover this. This is is probably the toughest part of the sermon. What is the difference between occasional and lifestyle sin? One person uh, submitted this question, uh, and I wanted to save it till now. They asked this question, can a person be a gay Christian? Can a person be a gay Christian? And that's a really heavy question. There's two ways to hear that question. Uh, The first way is like this. 
Can a person who is following after Jesus with their life, allowing him, the Lord, to set their standards and values, continue to experience same-sex attraction for the entirety of their lives? I think, I believe that the answer is yes, 100%. None of us in this room were, were allowed to choose the sin that tempts us. None of us. Not a single one of you said, uh, I picked debauchery. Like nobody, <laughs> no, nobody, nobody's done that. I, Lord, I want to struggle with tax evasion. That's what I want to wrestle with. None of us chooses the sin that besets us. In fact, Paul uh, was famous for saying, there's this thorn in my flesh and it won't go away. And I've asked the Lord three times, take it away. And all three times the Lord said, no. None of us get to do that. I've shared with you before uh, in previous sermons that when I was in high school, middle school and high school, I was a major league shoplifter, okay? Uh, There wasn't a day in my life where I wasn't shoplifting. Uh, In fact, if you had asked me from like 14 to 21, hey, Fike, are you struggling with shoplifting? I would say, no, I don't struggle at all. I do it every day. Right? No, I'm not struggling with it. It's part of my life. When I became a follower of Jesus and I accepted him as my Lord and I said, okay, you get to set the temperature of my life. You get to set the pace. You get to set the standards. Then it became a struggle because then this, this part of my life that was just a loud voice in my ear constantly uh, tempting me to do this thing that was contrary to the way that would make the Lord happy, contrary to what would make my life best for me, contrary to what he had prescribed for me. Every day of my life, I wrestled with it. So honestly, for the first seven years of our marriage, Dana and I, I never shopped alone. Because if I shopped, I was tempted to lift. That's the way my life was. And I gotta tell you, even still today, as a 46-year-old man, I walk through stores, I I don't steal, I don't shoplift, uh, but I walk through stores and I see all the holes in the security. I do, I do, I see all the ways I could, I could enter into this sin. It's just the way I'm made, I didn't choose it. I didn't say, Lord, make me a shoplifter. I didn't ask for that, right? And so listen to me. in the same way that that is my burden. I believe it's the same burden for any of our sin. I gotta tell you, I was so blessed when Amazon.com showed up in my life. You can't shoplift from Amazon. You can't, you can try to find a good deal, but you're not gonna steal from old Bezos, right? Um, Galatians 5 says this. It says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Galatians 5 is telling us that there is distinct fruit that manifests from one of two sources inside of you, the spirit and the flesh. Um, When the Holy Spirit is at the wheel of our lives, good fruit manifests, love and joy and peace and self-control. And I can walk through a store by myself and not worry about what I'm gonna do because the spirit's at the wheel. Does that make sense? Uh, But the fruit of the flesh are gross detestable, shameful, when the flesh is at the wheel of our lives, rotten fruit manifests itself. 
This is just the truth of the Bible. It makes it so clear that one or the other is gonna bear fruit and that we have a choice. Every one of us in this room, we have a choice to make every day of our lives. We have, every moment, every hour, we have to decide, okay, Holy Spirit, you're at the wheel. Holy Spirit, lead me. I wanna just let you have my life. I trust my life to you. Holy Spirit, this is your moment. And sometimes you, you, you know, we're aware of that. Sometimes we're heading into a meeting that's gonna be tough when we go, okay, Holy Spirit, you gotta have this meeting because I'm gonna cuss this lady out, uh, right? You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes we're aware of it, but most times we're not. We're just kind of so passive. And what we find is when we're not actively allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us, then the fruit of the flesh manifests itself. Um, I love this in, in verse 25, it says those, or 24, it says those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That is the most difficult part of Christ fellowship, is keeping in step with the Spirit. He makes this bold promise in Galatians 5. He says, if you live by the Spirit, then you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Here's what it didn't say. Once you give your life to Jesus, you will never lust again. That's not what it says. Friends, if you gave your life to Jesus... And you thought that because you did that, you weren't going to wrestle with temptation. You weren't going to be confronted with sin, with the opportunity to live contrary to his plans for you. You got another thing coming. This is part of the Christian journey is to realize that if we live by the Spirit, then we can silence the noise of the flesh. That's the beauty of it. So, Again, can you be a Christ follower who is tempted to live in contradiction to Christ's leadership? Is there anyone here in the room who would say, yes, right? You live constantly tempted to live in contradiction to Christ's leadership. Of course, the answer is yes. So that's the first way to hear that question. Here's the second way to hear that question. Can a person be a gay Christian? Can a person practice homosexuality as a lifestyle and still claim to be following after Jesus. And I would say, if you're following after Jesus, do you believe that he will advise you to commit sin? Of course not. Especially if you think of it this way. What does sin do? It separates us from God. So why would Jesus ever tell you to do something that would separate you from him when all he wants is for you to abide in him, for you to be close to him? Why would Jesus lead you towards separation? Of course, he's not the one that's leading you there. But see, the trouble is we don't have a good perspective from our perspective. You ever notice uh, how like our perspective is so incredibly limited? Um, none of us are capable of objective truth. All of our truth, everything that we understand is subjective, subject to our knowledge, to our experiences, and our understanding. This is where God comes in because his perspective is not confined to your subjectivity. Um, he is not limited by your perspective. His perspective is the only objective perspective available to us. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He sees all. He understands all. He perceives all correctly. And so when God says something is good for us, we can trust him. And when he says that something is bad for us, we can trust him. In fact, we must. We have to trust him. So can a person be a gay Christ follower? I don't know. Can you be a Christ-following home burglar? Can you be a Christ-following tax evader? Can you be a Christ-following idolater? 
A Christ-following murderer? Can you imagine coming to church on a Sunday and saying, okay, Lord, I'm asking you this week to give me wisdom because there's this whole neighborhood that's going on vacation next week. And uh, I need you to help me make sense of which houses have the worst security so that I can get in there. Oh, Lord, bless me with favor, Jesus, because I want to get in there. And I know that this one house, they have this antique tea tea set. And man, I can really get some money for that. And I know you want that for me, Lord. So I'm going to get into this home and I'm going to steal from them. Would you please lead me and guide me in Jesus' name? And I'll even tithe on it right? Like, that, that's contrary, come on, that's contrary to what God wants for you. That's not the life God wants for you. So, uh, we have to be very careful. Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart, guard your heart. It's imperative also that we not add any sort of moniker to the term Christian or Christ follower. I have some dear friends who um, struggle with same-sex attraction and who have yielded their lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. They have decided, I'm gonna follow Jesus. You know what they call themselves? Christians. That's what they call themselves, not gay Christians, not struggling Christians, not shoplifting Christians, right? They call themselves Christians, and that means something. Christ following Christians, people that have decided he gets to set the temperature of my life. One of my favorite preachers in the world recently passed. His name is Tim Keller. Um, I I like to think of Tim Keller, if you're a hip-hop person, there's this phrase that hip-hop artists love to say. They like to call themselves, they like to say, I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper, right? So that they want you to know that these people that you love, they got it from me, right? Tim Keller is your favorite preacher's favorite preacher. I promise you. Uh, He's incredible. He's a great, great communicator. He was in New York City uh, and he was very much, I would say he's kind of a forefather of that, that, that phrase that we came up with at our retreat I shared with you in Ezekiel 47. God is for you and so are we. Um, Tim Keller lived this out in New York City for 30 years at his church called Redeemer Church. He was on a panel. He was often asked to go on these secular panels and ask, you know, be asked really difficult questions. And he was on this panel where uh, this person from the media asked him this question. Does homosexuality send you to hell? I mean, can you imagine being asked that question in front of thousands of people as a pastor? Um, And he paused. You can find this online. It's beautiful the way he said it. He said, well, I can tell you this. Heterosexuality doesn't send you to heaven. Great answer. He said, "Um, your sexuality isn't what does or doesn't send you to heaven. In fact, it's temporary. Um, What sends you to hell, what puts you on the path to hell is self-righteousness. It's the moment that you decide, you know what? I'm not gonna look at your owner's manual. I'm gonna write my own. I'm gonna be the one that decides the pace of my life, the temperature of my life, the values of my life. I'll be the arbiter and the judge of my own life, especially when you know you can't even live up to your own standards. None of us in this room can even live up to the highest standards that we set for ourselves. So self-righteousness is what sends us to hell, not our sexuality. It says Galatians, but this is actually Matthew. I apologize for that. Um, Jesus said this, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. This is a passage of scripture where Jesus is saying to us, 
men in the room, buckle up. This is probably the worst news I have for you today. Are you ready? There's no sex in heaven. So sorry to tell you. Um, I told Kelly that and we talked about it and he said, that's right, I'm trying to get as much in as I can on this side of eternity. Uh, but li- so, listen, you, you don't bring your sexuality with you to heaven. None of us do. In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Do you know what heaven is? Heaven is the total and complete absence of separation from God. And guys, when we are fully connected to Jesus in heaven, I promise you, men, I know you don't believe me right now, but I promise you, you're not going to be thinking about sex. You're going to be thinking about the otherness, the holiness, the worthiness, the greatness of God. That's what heaven is. So, last question. What is the Christ follower's proper relationship with the LGBTQ community? All right, listen. If we gave those thousand Bibles to those thousand people, right, come back in a year, and I asked them this second question. All right, so I asked you about sexuality. You gave me your thoughts based on reading it. Here's my second question. What is the Christ follower's responsibility to the LGBTQ community? In the same way that God's answer for sexuality is not nuanced, this answer is not nuanced. Look at it in Mark, Mark 12. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor, uh uh-oh, as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So again, I just want to take a moment. If you identify as LGBTQ, and you're in the room, or you're listening to the podcast later, first of all, thank you for sticking with me this long. I appreciate it. Um, A lot of things have happened in the name of Christianity towards your community that I'm ashamed of. A lot of things have been said to you, said about you, uh, that don't represent the Jesus that I read in my Bible. I can't speak for, you know, all the churches in Colorado Springs, in Monument, in the Tri-Lakes, on this road. I can't speak for all of them. But I can tell you that the people of Angar Tri-Lakes are not like some of the things that you've experienced in your life. It breaks my heart to see people holding signs like this. That's not the heart of our God. It breaks my heart to hear people say things like, listen, come to my camp and we'll help you pray the gay away. It's not nuanced. The culture is, but it's not nuanced. Our responsibility as Christ followers to represent the love of Jesus. Christ followers are duty bound to love their neighbors If you had a Hindu neighbor, if you had a Muslim neighbor, would you think twice about loving them? So why is it that you have this hang-up, Christ follower, about a person who thinks and believes differently than you do? Love them. Care for them. Love your neighbor. Care for your neighbor. Do good to your neighbor. Show them that there's a different side of Jesus than what they've seen on TV, than what they've read on Twitter than the worst parts of us. Show them that we can be the kind of people that wear the skin of Jesus, the love of Jesus. A person shouldn't have to pretend to be something they're not in order to have you as a friend in their lives. Amen? You know who Jesus had beef with, by the way? 
You know who Jesus had contempt for? Come on, you've read the Gospels. Who did Jesus have the most beef with? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the self-righteous. You know who Jesus actively pursued and spent time with? Sinners. In fact, he was known for it. In fact, he was beguiled for it. Um, Matthew 9, 9 says this. These guys are asking the disciples about Jesus, and they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Think about this. Before you became a follower of Jesus, can you think back to those moments? What was your opinion of self-righteous so-called Christians? Were you a big fan? Did you love, you know, finger waggers and fist shakers? Did you love those kinds of Christians? Did they make you want to become a Christian? Or did they make you want to keep your back to the Lord and your, your heart to the world? What purpose did they serve in your life? Did they, did they have a positive or a negative effect on you? Did they make you want to lean into God or away from him? I'll end with this last story in the Gospels. There's this moment where this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. By the way, it takes two to tango. We don't know where the guy is, but she's the one that gets centered. She's the one that gets pointed out. She's the one that gets caught living against the owner's manual. She put diesel in a gas tank. She lived outside of the confines of what God would say is good for her. And they parade her before Jesus. There's all these men, these self-righteous men with rocks in their hand. And they're ready to do away with her. They're ready to do what feels good to them. Look at this in John 8. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught. She's guilty in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says, we, we get to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Now there's all this conjecture. Every preacher on the earth has told you that they were writing Bob, tax evasion, right? Like every preacher has told you that. We don't know what he's writing here. But he's writing and these words are stirring in these men's hearts. The first one who's never sinned, that's who gets to throw the stone. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman, with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Jesus is standing with this person who deserves all of the condemnation that's coming her way. And he says, not from me. You're not gonna get that from me. You're gonna get mercy and love and truth from me. He doesn't say go and keep sinning. He says go, you're free and sin no more. And I hear in that, sweetheart, this lifestyle that you're living, it's no good for you. You gotta get away from it. Turn your back to the world and your heart towards the Lord. 
It's not nuance, guys. God's declared what's good for us, and God has declared how we are to treat people who may not believe the same things that we do. Amen. We hope that today's message truly encouraged you to fight for a real relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to hear from you. Please send an email to tlpod at vanguardchurch.org. We'd love to know how we can pray for you and hear your stories about how this podcast has impacted your life. If you'd like to give financially to our ministry, just text the amount you'd like to give to the number 84321. You can find Vanguard Tri-Lakes on all social media platforms, and we hope that you'll give us a follow. Thanks for joining us, and may God bless you beyond imagination. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.